Gupta and I bring to you this podcast version of this week's National Interest. Who are India's allies or friends or enemies slash adversaries in the world today? You might say, what kind of a dumb question is that, Shekhar Gupta? But you know what? This isn't such a dumb question as you might imagine immediately. Let me try and make my case. Look at the state of the world. That Pakistan and China are adversaries is simple enough for India. But it becomes tougher when it comes to allies or friends. Then we get into truly cluttered business of friends of adversaries and adversaries of friends. And also where an adversary is the closest friend of a friend who is the sworn enemy of an ally and also at the same time the most critical ally of an enemy. Sounds confusing? I know, I know it's messy. Let me try to declutter it. Think China, Russia, America, China, Pakistan to begin with. There is plenty of evidence in the public domain that Russia cannot last more than a few weeks in its war with the West via Ukraine without China's help. The latest trade data available from the Chinese Customs Department shows that business between the two has boomed in the year when China's economy has slowed down, growth has slowed down, it has not gone negative, growth has slowed down and overall trade has declined. Much of the growth is contributed now by Russian exports. That is the, that is the trade between China and Russia. We also spoke about it in Kartak letter this week, last week. There is a popular view, particularly in self-congratulatory India, that it is our purchase of Russian oil that's driving Russia's economy and war effort. The Chinese contribution to the Russian economy is several times greater. No surprises there. China is also an economy that's almost five times as big as India's. Plus, the prospect of at least the supply of softer military merchandise is always a near-term possibility. Supply from China to Russia. India's oldest ally, therefore, which is Russia, being the successor state of the old Soviet Union, that is truly dependent economically, politically and ultimately militarily only on one country, which also happens to be our most formidable long-term adversary with nearly 60,000 troops sitting battle-ready, threatening us in Ladakh. That takes care of the first part of our jumbled equation. Your adversary being the closest friend of a friend. Simple enough so far. Let's cut to the next bit. This adversary, China, is best friends with the worst enemy, which is Russia, of a country you now call an essential strategic ally, that is the US. We pick that description not out of thin air, but from the many joint statements issued between Indian Prime Ministers and American Presidents. Further on, the same adversary is also the patron, friend and master, lender of first resort, mind you, not lender of last resort, first resort and security guarantor of your most irritating immediate foe, that is Pakistan. If you think I am finding it challenging to simplify this, you are right. But it also underlines the complexities of the world we inhabit now. Our military dependence on Russia is deep and will likely remain so for at least five more years. It will not go away after five years also, but maybe by that time it would begin to decline or dilute a bit. But for the next five years, it will remain quite strong. Nobody can replace 95% of India's tanks, almost 4,000 tanks, 70% of the combat aircraft, the flagship and the majority of the flying combat assets of the Navy, all of them overnight. Nobody can change them. Where would you expect Russia to be positioned, however, if, as the military people like to say, the balloon goes up on the LAC? 
it would be a small mercy in that case if the Russians at least remain as neutral and disinterested as they seemed or at least as they pretended to be in 1962 as the Soviet Union. At least in 1962, the Soviet Union was a much bigger power, an ideological, military, political, economic elder brother to China. Now the equation has reversed. Putin's wartime Russia is a courtier of China. That's a, that's a tough reality, but it's a reality. That's why it was fascinating to see Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov grandstand at the just-concluded Rasina Dialogue in New Delhi, wowing a hall filled with admiring foreign policy wonks by rubbing it in on his Indian hosts. A bit like Patrick Bergen's Martin Burney in Sleeping with the Enemy, telling Julia Roberts his Laura Burney, we all forget things. That's what reminding is for. India and Russia, he reminded his mostly fawning audience, have a treaty that says they have a special and privileged strategic partnership. Which other country do you have such a treaty with? He taunted his audience. I'm sure others are smarter, but at least I had to research what treaty he was talking about. Most likely, it seems, it was what P.V. Narsimharao signed with Boris Yeltsin in 1993 as the successor of the 1971 Indo-Soviet Treaty of Peace, Friendship and Cooperation, as it was called. Since the Cold War had ended sort of abruptly and the Soviet Union had vanished, India felt pressured to maintain a special relationship with Soviet Union's successor state, that was Russia, the Russian Federation. The critical Article 9 of the original treaty, which implied mutual security guarantees, was obviously dropped now. Of course, nobody was going to be rude enough in a new Delhi strategic gathering to remind Lavrov of any of that. Or of the many joint statements and agreements with the US, the only world power India has publicly described, formally so, as an essential strategic ally in the past 25 years across the tenure of three prime ministers, Vajpayee, Manmohan Singh, Modi. It was in the same five years, 1991 to 96, that Lavrov's then predecessor, Yevgeny Primakov talked India into the three-nation Russia-India-China partnership. That, Lavrov reminded us, is now a useful forum where India and China can meet to resolve their differences without the hesitations or pressures of a bilateral, Russia being the honest if silent broker. That was some reminding. Lavrov got away with many of the interesting claims, some of which are also routinely made in the Indian strategic debate. The issue of the so-called Global South, for example. Once again, a simple fact check would have provided some clarity. Like on the voting record at the UN of the so-called Global South, which many Indian leaders and commentators have also been talking about lately. They've been talking about the Global South. Oh, Global South has a view of its own. India's with Global South. There's a great nostalgia and this is a, it's a fatal attraction for going back to the old days when we were leaders quote-unquote, self-styled leaders of the third world, non-aligned movement, etc., etc. This also contradicts our aspiration. This runs contrary to our aspiration to no longer be a third world country, to no longer be a global south country. Nevertheless, let's move on with the argument. At the last UN vote, only seven nations voted against the resolution asking Russia to stop its aggression and vacate Ukraine. These were the usual suspects. Syria, Belarus, Nicaragua, North Korea, Eritrea and Mali. The seventh, no surprises, was 
Russia itself. 32, including India, abstained and 141 voting for the resolution. That is a lot of the so-called global south. You might say, as Lavrov said, these countries are voting like this under pressure from the West. But that also tells you what the global power balance today is. Those are realities that you cannot change. Those are realities China cannot change, Russia cannot change, China plus Russia cannot change. Which also brings us back to our jumbled Jalebi formulation of India's strategic universe. Russia, an inalienable friend dependent on China and Pakistan, a permanent adversary that has no other source of strength or money than China. And the US as an essential strategic ally. Whose enemy? Whose friend? Who are you sleeping with? Who are you sailing with? It all, it's all very complicated. Pakistan's desperation is of a different order. The Gulf Arabs are wary of Pakistan and it is alienated from the West. Though the British are working hard behind the scenes for some sort of rehabilitation in Washington for Pakistan. If Pakistan is selling critical tank and rocket ammunition to Ukraine, it isn't a purely autonomous act. Whatever be Pakistan's need for dollars or wheat in barter. This is an application for forgiveness to the US for past crimes or more recent crimes in Afghanistan vis-a-vis -vis the Taliban. It is this complex strategic world that India is navigating. Behind the talk of the global south, equidistance, strategic autonomy. However, the business of the strategic stuff is going on fine. A NATO team met its Indian counterparts to explore more cooperation in the Indo-Pacific. NATO plus India in the Indo-Pacific. Even as conflicted interests reigned at the G20. The latest Quad statement had a paragraph on Ukraine categorically. In fact, as I speak, you will find that para on your screens as well. So the latest Quad statement had this paragraph on Ukraine categorically asking Russia without naming it to vacate its aggression with due respect for Ukraine's sovereignty, territorial integrity and rules-based international order. It also said, and I quote again from it, it also said the threat of use of nuclear weapons is inadmissible. Meanwhile, the US Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo, arrived in Delhi and not only to play holy at Defense Minister Rajnath Singh's home. On the agenda is a partnership on semiconductors. This follows the progress made earlier on high-tech areas during National Security Advisor Ajit Doval's visit to Washington. The Modi government now finds itself in its deepest of contradictions and this is, these are contradictions of its own making. It has let even sort of encouraged the building of a public opinion that's westophobic and pro-Russia even as the course it has set on strategic policy is exactly the opposite. It is uncharacteristic for Modi who usually believes in aligning both his policies and public opinion. At some point soon, course correction might be needed on one or the other. In my view, more likely on public opinion. Today's contradictions are unsustainable.